Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bearded Mystic Podcast and I'm your host Rahul N. Singh. Thank you for taking out the time today to either watch or listen to this podcast episode. Today we will be continuing on with my thoughts on the Bhagavad Gita but before we start there's a few things I would like to let you know about and that is if you would like to support the Bearded Mystic Podcast you can sign up to the podcast Patreon page. You can find out more in the show notes and video description below but here you will get ad-free episodes, bonus episodes and In December, we will be starting my thoughts on the Upanishads. So that will be an exclusive podcast only for Patreon. Another way to listen to those ad-free and bonus episodes is through Apple subscriptions. That is on the Apple Podcasts app itself. So do take a look at that if you're listening to this on the Apple Podcasts app. Every Saturday, there is a free virtual meditation session which takes place at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Following the meditation session, there is a discussion or a Q&A. And if you'd like to find out more about that, The details are in the show notes and video description below. If you would like to have a one-on-one meeting with me as a friend to discuss your spirituality, you can find the details in the show notes and video description below. So let's do a recap of the last episode. We discussed the sixth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, specifically verses 11 to 15. Sri Krishna gives us guidance on how to meditate and focus on Brahman whilst we're in the forest. However, we also looked at how we could adapt that in our day-to-day life today and how to modernize those teachings so we do not find excuses to not practice it. Sri Krishna also explains how we must fix our attention on the Atma and that is our true self and we should allow the senses and thoughts to rest on this understanding. In that episode you can find out more ways on how we can help the mind remain steady and focused in one-pointed meditation. Sri Krishna explains how all energy can be transferred and directed to understand that Sri Krishna himself is the formless ultimate reality. Sri Krishna tells Arjun what one achieves by doing this practice and that is a perfect and complete union with the true self. Krishna's true self and your true self, my true self, everyone's true self is one and the same. Today we will be looking at verses 16 to verse 19 of chapter 6. Let's start with verse 16. To practice this yoga one must establish a balance in relation to all material activities, neither eating nor sleeping too much or too little. So we're going to look at this verse as a whole. Now how should one practice this? How can we create balance in our life? How can we sustain that balance in our life? How can we ensure that we're always steady and in focus? Well, there is a way that Sri Krishna gives us which we can utilize to help us progress further. Now, obviously one should aim to remain as balanced as possible all the time and neither should we get too excited nor too lazy when it comes to things. We shouldn't overcompensate our emotions at all. We should try to go back to that formless awareness that's always there in the background. Now, this can easily be done 
again, if we remain as the observer. So if something happens and it's really great for you, instead of getting overjoyed to an extreme, you can actually just observe how you're feeling and then see how you want to express that feeling. It doesn't have to always be in a celebration. It can, but it doesn't have to be. And neither should one get overhyped, you know, so one shouldn't be overcompensating in their actions either. So we should be balanced in that. And the same thing is we shouldn't be lazy for example we shouldn't just say oh you know what I just can't be bothered to deal with this right now I'm just gonna let go sometimes that can be laziness because we do not want to take the right action because we fear what the consequences could be Sri Krishna also talks about some body actions that we can practice now think about it he says here that neither eating nor sleeping too much or too little if we eat too much we may get food coma, it's unhealthy, we get lethargic, we get tired, we don't want to do anything, we just want to take a big long nap and we just get absolutely low energy even though we've eaten so much and this is not good for us either. How can we meditate if we're constantly in that state? Also, we will not be able to sit comfortably if we are eating too much or say you get indigestion and you're meditating and say you're in a class or you're in a, a meditation group I don't think the group will actually appreciate that uh, if you have indigestion so eating too much can be problematic then on the same level he says even if we eat too less what happens there is one again we may not be able to sit comfortably the other aspect is we will keep thinking about food because we're constantly feeling malnourished or we may be abstaining from food so the mind will constantly be thinking about food that's not good either and again if we're malnourished then we can't sit effectively we can't keep our mind focused and the whole point is to be in that right balance and I think the Japanese say that you should only eat up to 80% don't get absolute full just eat enough so you're satisfied and for someone like me I need to probably eat a little bit less sweet stuff so I can maintain a healthy lifestyle the other aspect that Sri Krishna talks about is either sleeping too much or too little now if you sleep too much we can start feeling lethargic, we can start feeling tired, we just don't want to get up from bed. Why would we want to get up from bed when we're nice and cosy? You know, those are the feelings you'll get if you sleep too much. And if we sleep too little, the body can get tired, it can get ill very easy. You're more prone to getting sick because the body hasn't been given enough time to repair. It's very important that we must overall have a healthy lifestyle with a decent routine and that's something we need to definitely do the other thing i like to mention is that even when we sleep too much sometimes you want to sleep more or you're still extra tired so getting that right amount of sleep for your body is important and you will know as your own body what is best for you the context of the whole verse here is that Sri Krishna gives us guidance on how to live a balanced lifestyle of eating enough sleeping enough to feel well rested and at the same time to be balanced in our responses to things as that helps the mind stay steady and calm verse 17 yoga means to be moderate in sattvic eating and recreation yoga is to remain equipoised while performing all actions yoga is finding the right balance between time spent awake and asleep one who lives as a yogi carefully removes all sources of disturbance from their life 
So if we look at the first part of that verse, it's yoga means to be moderate in sattvic eating and recreation. Yoga is to remain equipoised while performing all actions. Yoga is finding the right balance between time spent awake and asleep. First of all, moderate in sattvic eating. So a sattvic diet is a regimen that places emphasis on seasonal foods, fruits and vegetables, especially vegetables that are ripe, nuts and seeds, oils, legumes, whole grains and non-meat-based protein. So that's something to think about when we want to have a sattvic diet. Then the other aspect is, and I didn't include it in here, and that is dairy. Now, dairy is recommended in a sattvic diet, but now people can also have non-dairy substitutes for milk, like nut milk or soya milk or oat milk those options are available now we can have non-dairy alternatives and that can still be part of sattvic eating recreation is moderate again it's about channeling the energy utilizing that recreational energy towards more meditation towards more focus on the spiritual path towards our sadhana so that's very important And recreation can also mean any hobbies we have to make sure that we are being moderate in doing what our hobbies are. So we have that base level of happiness, which is required and what people are looking for today. Then remaining balanced when performing all actions means is to be a witness whenever possible and be an observer. That's the best way to remain balanced when you're performing any action. Because that way you are not thinking about the results. You're not thinking about what to do. You're not thinking about what other people are going to think about your actions. You're just doing the actions that you've utilized your buddhi with. That you've analyzed with your buddhi to see what is the best thing to do. And as Sri Krishna mentioned in the previous verse and even here... We must have the right balance between the time spent awake and asleep. So we need to get the perfect amount of sleep first of all. And then we need to make sure that we give a specific number of hours to the day to sleep. But everyone has a different body and it's unique to them. But also when we are awake that we at least spend a decent amount of time doing our spiritual pursuits, whether that's partaking in rituals, going to satsangs, spending time with holy people or spiritual people, studying the scriptures or spiritual texts, anything like that is something that we can do. And that's very important that we utilize both. When we are awake, we focus the mind on spirituality as much as possible. And then when we are asleep, we can focus on making sure the body is well rested. Then the second part of the verse is one who lives as a yogi carefully removes all sources of disturbance from their life. So living as a yogi means to be in balance. When we do that, we remove all sources of disturbances. And that means anything that distracts you or attracts you to it. Maybe as a yogi, what you need to make sure is anything that would distract you from your spiritual pursuits. So that may be the notifications buzzing on your phone to somebody at the door or your thoughts while you're meditating. That can be a source of disturbance that distracts you away from meditation, away from your spiritual pursuits, away from doing what you need to do. And the same thing is it can attract you to things that will not help you in life. So we need to make sure we remove all of those disturbances. One needs to try to maintain a minimal lifestyle and be as simple 
as possible. Remember, the less you have, the less clutter in your mind, the less you have to think about, and therefore you can concentrate more on your spiritual journey and less on looking after the clutter that you may have, not only in your home, but also in your own mind. The context of the whole verse here is that Sri Krishna explains how one should maintain a healthy lifestyle and keep it hassle-free. Verse 18 when the consciousness of the Atma is entirely free from all material longings and desires, one's yoga finally becomes complete. We're going to look at the whole verse together. First of all, we need to analyze our material longings and desire. How much is our mind occupied by all these body and mind related desires? How much does it constantly think about the next car, the next house, the next clothes to buy, the next gear to get anything that would take us away from being focused on spirituality are the things that we long for are they going to end up causing us suffering for ourselves and for others sometimes getting a new car what if it's not comfortable for the people in your family then that would be a cause of suffering for them or say you get a new car but it creates ego in you and you feel pride and ego for what you have and it becomes your identity so those things are the things that we need to think about when it comes to having those material longings and desires we have to make sure that the awareness of the atma that awareness itself is free from those desires that we understand that the atma here means the mind that the mind is not looking towards those longings and desires it's actually looking within and in fact until we address these very questions we will always be bounded by our desires so we have to remain vigilant at all times we have to constantly think about whether the desires that we have are actually beneficial for us or are they detrimental to our spiritual journey we really have to think about that and then when one's consciousness is free from desire what we find then is that it's free from anger it is free from fear it is free from enmity it is free from delusion so one we will not feel anger because it doesn't matter what we've been longing for or desiring for those things are matters of the body and mind but for the atma for the real self for the pure consciousness the pure awareness within us it has no desire it has no longing it is complete so therefore where can fear arise when one doesn't feel inadequate because they haven't achieved or attained their desire? And if you're longing for something, you're constantly thinking about it, then how can you concentrate on spirituality? Then you'll always be fearful of whether you will achieve your spiritual goals while you're longing for something. So that doesn't help either. Or if we have anger, because we're longing for something and it's not happening to us. Therefore, we do not unnecessarily get abusive towards others, or neither do we do any self-harm by drinking alcohol excessively or smoking cigarettes or taking recreational drugs excessively. The obvious one is delusion. We know that these desires keep us bounded to the body and mind. And the more we have these desires, the more we have these longings, the more we feel that we are just this body and mind. But once we break away from the clutches of those longings and desires that keep us to the material to this body and mind we realize that actually we are this true self and nothing less than that but more so is we even have to let go of the longing or the noble desire for enlightenment that has to be removed too sometimes we think that enlightenment because it's a pure and noble cause a noble desire a noble longing but actually it can cause harm because what if we end up leaving our family 
for our longing for God. In fact, our God is nothing but our own material desires. So that's why it's very important that even if we're longing for enlightenment, that it doesn't become anger, it doesn't become fear, that, oh, if I don't get enlightened, then I'm going to be reincarnated, or I'm going to go to hell, or I'm going to be absolutely judged for my karma. That's fear, and that's not something we need to do. We have to remove anything that makes even enlightenment to be a material desire. Remember, enlightenment itself is not a desire, neither is it material. It simply is as it is, and you are simply is as it is. So what you are is what enlightenment is. Sri Krishna says that once yoga becomes complete, then one is ultimately in union with divine truth. That's all we need. That's what completion means. When we do not require anything else, when all we want is to be in this state of pure, formless awareness. Complete means that also we understand the game, we play the game, and we end up going beyond whether we win or lose. It's not about winning or losing when we're playing the game. We just know that the purpose of being on this earth for the body and mind is that this all is one giant game, one giant drama where we're playing our roles as actors, producers, and directors. So once our yoga is complete, then we're always in formless awareness. That's ultimately final scene always ends. By being in the formless awareness, we do not have to worry about the future, nor do we have to care about the past, nor do we have to keep thinking about the past and pondering about the past, and nor do we have to go into imagination about the future. Now think about it. For example, if we utilize the analogy of a video game. If you're playing a video game and you complete it, you do the absolute best, you achieve all that you need to do in each level and say you completed that game perfectly, would you then start worrying about the past, about what you did during one game, about what one move you did that wasn't right, even though you've completed it perfectly? You know, you wouldn't. And there's no way you can change the game of the past. Whatever's happened has happened. And then, is there a future after the game? Once you complete the game, you turn it off. Either you can restart it all again, or you end the game and let the TV screen just turn off. Or turn the console off and that's it. That's all. If you understand this in terms of yoga or in terms of spiritual enlightenment or spiritual liberation, then all it's about is that there is no future there is no past and there is no present because the game was something that was just an appearance in one's own awareness. And that's all we have to remember. The context of the whole verse is that this awareness within is absolutely free from all material longings and desires. And we must complete our yoga and that we no longer worry about the future, nor do we worry about the past. We end up understanding that all of life, all its desires and longings are literally scenes playing across a movie on the screen of our consciousness, on the screen of formless awareness. And neither does this formless awareness get mixed in with the game or the longing or the desires. It remains ever existing, ever free from all of that. Now we go to the final verse, which is 19. Just as a lamp in a windless place does not waver, 
So a yogi who has focused the jit faculties of conscious awareness entirely upon their own atma is once again restored to their true nature by perfecting this yoga of transcendental self-knowing. So we're going to look at the whole verse here. This is a wonderful analogy that Sri Krishna uses about having a lamp or a candle in a windless place that flame does not flicker, that flame does not move in any way, or that light doesn't move in any way. It can't. If there's no wind, how can it move? And you can see a wind like our senses or our thoughts, our mind, our manas. We can understand from here that our awareness is a windless place. Nothing can move it. It has to be that way because if it can be moved, if it can waver in any way, then this Atma is unreal and that's not true. If it's a, a windless place, does that candle get extinguished ever because of the external environment? No, there's nothing that can influence it. Same way, nothing from the outside, another person or another thing or another place or another situation from outside of you cannot disturb you because your light cannot be wavered in any way. It's complete. So, that's something we can understand. Once one's jit or our awareness of being awareness has become complete, once it transcends the panch koshas or the five koshas, that is the body, the vital airs, the mind, the intellect and happiness related to the other four koshas, the atma rests upon itself in its true nature. The one thing I do want to mention when we look at these panch koshas is to define one way and that is remember sat or asat or nitya and anitya. So whatever is changing, whatever modifies, whatever decays in any way, that is asat, that is unreal. So whenever we look at these five goshas, we got to see whether they change at any point. And then the same way is whatever is changeless, that is ultimately real. Now, let me explain what the five goshas are very briefly. Obviously, you have the Anamaya Gosha, which is this physical body that we have. We know that this physical body is not us because it's always changing and it's always subject to death. And remember, we can see that as being very obvious and that whatever we eat ends up becoming part of the body. We know the physical body for sure is subject to change, subject to death to decay, to modification. It has changed as we've grown up and it's going to continuously change. And when it decays, it also changes there. So physical body is not what we are then. That's ultimately unreal because what we are is changeless. The Pranamaya Gosha, which is the vital airs, that also isn't real. And why is that? Even though it is subtler than the physical body and the actions of the vital air of prana is unconsciously done. For example, pranamaya gosha consists of functions like breathing, removal of waste from the body. It's utilized for the circulation of blood, for reactions or reverse processes like vomiting or burping, tears, sneezing, coughing or even thoughts and also for the digestion of food. All this happens unconsciously. Therefore, it also changes. For example, 
Our breathing can change as we get older. It can become more laboured. It may be more difficult for our blood to circulate around our body. It may become a lot slower in terms of the other aspects. Coughing. One time we're coughing, the next week or so, we may be fine. Sickness does not stay for a prolonged period in terms of the same intensity of sickness. Even the intensity, that's always in flux. The same way with thoughts. We know that with thoughts, they pass by. All that, although it's subtler than the body, it's still ultimately unreal because of that. For example, thankfully, we're not in charge or we're not conscious of some of these things because if we were conscious of digesting food, who knows if we would be able to digest food properly if we have real bad anxiety or anything like that. The third kosha is manumaya kosha, which is the mind. And obviously the mind is a seat for emotions like anger, jealousy, love, compassion. It can constitute of confusion and indecisiveness. The mind perceives the objects of the world through the senses and identified with the mind, we think we are happy or sad. So again, we can go into flux of these emotions. We can either be in confusion or indecisiveness and sometimes we can be overconfident. Things like that is what is the Manamaya Gosha. And therefore, even though it is subtler than Brahnamaya Gosha, it still is unreal because there is change there. So therefore, it's not the formless awareness. It's another thing that is impermanent. And then you have Vigyanamaya Gosha. So that's the intellect. That's the fourth one, the fourth Gosha. Now this is subtler than and pervades the former three, so the body, vital airs and the mind. It controls all three of those Goshas. It also brings thoughts into a framework of decision making and that is the intellect. The intellect is also the seat of the values that we have in life based on how we would live in the world. It's also the value that we try to emulate in the world with other people. The intellect also discriminates between right and wrong or real and unreal like we're doing right now. Also, it's there to innovate, create, discover, visualize or imagine. These are all intellectual capabilities. Without the intellect, we cannot do any imagination, any visualization, any discovery, any creativity and any innovation. That's why it's very important to have a strong intellect. Also, it's based on previous experiences that it recognizes, understands and decides on the course of action to take. So remember, it is our discernment, avivek, that decides what we're going to do. It decides what's the best course of action to do in terms of karma. Now, the vital air, so pranamaya gosha, the mind, Manumaya Gosha and the intellect, Vigyanamaya Gosha, these together form the subtle body. Obviously, the Anamaya Gosha is the gross body. Then the mind and intellect are characterized as two different entities. Now, why is that? It's because they are two names given to thought modifications according to their functions. The function of the mind is when it feels and the function of the intellect is when it thinks. So thinking is intellect, feeling is the mind. That's why the mind is considered the heart and the intellect is considered the head. You know, when we say someone is so much into their head, what we're saying is they're really thinking too much. And if someone feels too much, we say their heart is very sensitive. Then we have the Anandamaya Gosha, which is happiness or bliss sheet. Although I would call it happiness, I think that's a more better translation. This is the subtlest and the most pervasive of the Goshas, and that is this Anandamaya Gosha. Now, it's also called the causal body. So, like we had 
the subtle body with the Pranamaya Gosha, Manamaya Gosha and Vigyanamaya Gosha. That is the subtle body. And then we had the Anamaya Gosha as the gross body. Anandamaya Gosha is the causal body. Now, the causal body or Anandamaya Gosha, that is of the nature of ignorance of the world and the self. So Anandamaya Gosha is not aware of what the world is and what the self is. It's still ignorant about what is reality, what is the formless awareness. Although it is blessed and presented and favoured with the bliss of the self. To give an example here, when night falls, the world is covered by darkness. All objects and their distinctive characteristics also merge into that darkness. And the objects, they're not destroyed, they're just not perceived. So for example, if this room that I'm in, if it goes completely dark, what will happen even this plant here, this chair, this mic, this computer screen, it all goes dark. I just cannot perceive it. It's not destroyed, it's still there. As the day dawns, distinctions manifest. So when I wake up or when I turn the light on, I can then start seeing the different objects. Similarly, in deep sleep, when only the causal body is at play, when we're only in that causal body state, all dualities, the ego, anxiety, agitation, the world, the subtle and gross bodies and so on, merge into total darkness. Just think of deep sleep. Even though you are there, this body's still there, this mind is still there, but in deep sleep, they are not distinctive. You're not aware of them. And that's ignorance is what is the causal body. It's a deep level of ignorance. Remember, all that merges into the total darkness. So remember using the example of the night falling and how the distinctive characteristics and objects merge into the darkness. Just remember that likewise, that's what happens when we go into deep sleep. Now, in this deep sleep state, as there are no thought modifications in the mind and there's an absence of all agitation, so even the pains that you may have in the body in deep sleep, you're not aware of those pains anymore. Because of that absence of all agitation and there being no thought modifications, the bliss of the self manifests itself totally. But due to ignorance, it is said to be of impure nature. Remember, because when we wake up, we will still be in ignorance. So we have to go to what is called the Turiya state, the fourth state. In the deep sleep state, there are no degrees in this bliss. But in the waking and dream state, we experience various qualities and intensities of happiness. In deep sleep, there's only happiness. There's no differing degrees. But in the waking state and dreaming state, there's differing degrees of happiness. That is what Anandamaya Gosha is. And because things change, meaning we get out of that deep sleep state or total ignorance, we know that is also changing and therefore is ultimately unreal. To understand this a bit more, the joy of thinking of a dear object or being is called Priya or intense love. The intensity of joy increases when we actually gain the object or meet the person. The joy is maximized when we enjoy the object or become one with it. Sometimes when we get into the zone, we totally are in enjoyment. And there, there is no duality of the enjoyer and the enjoyed, but only enjoyment. Again, when we're in the zone, there's no player and playing. The five sheets, goshas, form the covering which conceals the jewel of awareness or Brahman. So just remember that these five goshas that we've just mentioned and discussed, how they are ultimately unreal and they hide what is real. They cover what is real and that is formless awareness. So you can say that the five goshas are literally at the forefront and in the background there is 
this Brahman, this formless awareness. And what we do through spiritual inquiry is we bring Brahman to the forefront, we bring formless awareness to the forefront, and we let the five Gorshas go to the background. They're still there, but we understand that actually there is only the self, there is only pure awareness. These Panch Gorshas, they're made up of or are the modifications of the five elements, so that space, fire, air, earth and water. They are born and they also die, they fluctuate, they change, their states can change too and they are different from pure awareness. Formless awareness is beyond all modifications, it's unborn, it's immortal and the witness of all, the observer of all and therefore is different from the five sheets. This Brahmgyan removes everything that we are not and we end up being self-aware of our own self-knowing. This truth becomes very apparent very obvious to us. Again, relating it to the analogy, our awareness will not be influenced by any external or internal movement as we have noted from how it is not the five sheets. So relating it to the analogy of the windless place that does not waver, our awareness will not be influenced by any external or internal movement as it's not part of any of the five sheets. So that's something we can understand and fully internalize and practice. What happens there is we bring our mind to its true state which is this formless awareness by perfecting this yoga of Brahmagyana, of Atmagyana, of knowing yourself and that transcends you from these Panchkoshas and also the three bodies which is the gross, subtle and causal. The context of the whole verse is that Sri Krishna explains about how we can achieve this transcendental self-knowing when we are able to transcend this body and mind and enter and fix ourselves upon what we really are which is this pure formless awareness and we break down that anything that changes or modifies is simply not what we are. So that is the end of the episode. Please do share this podcast with your friends and family who may enjoy this content. Do follow me on social media to keep getting updates. Subscribe to the monthly Bearded Mystic newsletter and you can join the Bearded Mystic podcast WhatsApp group. All the details are in the show notes and video description below. If you would like to support the Bearded Mystic podcast, as I mentioned earlier, you can sign up to the podcast Patreon page or sign up to the Apple Podcast subscriptions. And the details are in the show notes and video description below. If you would like to have a one-on-one meeting with me as a friend to discuss your spirituality, to have a chat about it, you can find the details in the show notes and video description below. Please rate and review this podcast on our website www.thebeardedmysticpodcast.com if you're watching this on youtube first subscribe to this youtube channel and please do like and comment on this video let me know what your thoughts are let me know what you think i can improve on let me know what you want to hear more of or say you have a question or say you want me to expand on something more let me know and I can look into it. And the same applies if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast streaming app. Please do follow or subscribe to this podcast. And most of all, do rate this podcast on that app itself. That'd be really great. And if you're on Good Pods, you can write a comment on there too. Thank you very much for listening. Let's end this with the Shanti Mantra. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Om Peace, Peace, Peace. Namaste.